Awesome. I like that video for a few different reasons. One is that uh, we're going to talk about today how as we speak about joy and as we've lit the Advent candle of joy today as we anticipate the coming of Christ, how the joy that we celebrate is not a delirious kind of delusional joy, but it's a joy that perseveres and sustains us through good times and bad. And we're also going to talk about the fact that um, the heavens themselves, the constellations, the stars were telling a story that confirmed and affirmed scripture in a powerful way. I was, every year as I'm thinking about the themes of Advent and how we're going to present them, it's Easter and Christmas, as I've said many times, are the challenge of presenting the, the same truth in a new wineskin. Uh, through a different lens that we can appreciate it in a different way. And I was struck this year by the brilliance of God's sovereign plan that his joy touches and reaches every single one of us exactly where we're at. And I think three examples that um, stand out to me that we're going to lift up today is the example of the wise men, the example of the shepherds, and then the example of ordinary people just like us. And how God reached them and spoke to them, communicated to them in ways that were meaningful to them. And so how that joy has the ability to reach us. The Magi, the wise men, um, came most likely from Babylon, so modern day Iraq. And they knew the stars better than the back of their hands. They had um, looked up into that Mesopotamian black sky and mapped out the stars and the planets and the comets and they had tracked the almost imperceptible trails for many generations, and they knew the characteristics and the stories of these constellations. Not only were they astronomers, but they were also astrologers. They believed that God had diagrammed the grand workings of history in the sky and in the heavens. And we're going to talk about that. But we're going to begin today by reading the story that's found in Matthew chapter 2. And you can follow along if you like, or you can listen as I read. And um, Matthew chapter 2 says this for us. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, For you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time that the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Which we know is a, not the case. Verse 9, After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. 
And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. I've been kind of lifting up the, the merits of this documentary, The Star of Bethlehem, for some time, and Brittany has talked a lot about that this last weekend, and, and um, she perhaps has been illustrating it better than any of us in terms of, you know, she's talking about Jupiter's right over us, and this is happening, that's happening, and she's got it down. And the thing that this video suggests, which I think has a lot of, um, of truth to it, is that could it be that when Daniel was carted off to Babylon in the Babylonian captivity, that as he was in charge of the wise men and the scientists of that day, that he was grooming the very school out of which these wise men came. That that's why they knew of the prophecies. They knew of all that had been written about the star, and they were charting it and looking forward to it. And if that's the case, again, it shows the grand drama of a God who uses even our punishment and even our times of captivity and sin to still be orchestrating and planning how all things are going to work together for good for his master plan. And as the Advent video suggested for us that even the stars themselves were telling a story of joy that was connected to the Messiah's birth. The celestial activity of the heavens were proclaiming and affirming the truth of Scripture. And I think it's said so beautifully in Psalm 19 when David writes this. He says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make Him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. We've taken just a, a really short clip from that Star of Bethlehem that we've been promoting. And again, I encourage you, if you have not watched that yet, you can find it on YouTube. You can order it on Amazon for 19 bucks. It will undoubtedly be one of the best things you do with your family this Christmas time, just because of, of the encouragement of the scriptures and um, how they are telling the story so beautifully. But let's watch a clip from this and then talk about it for a moment. Um, let me give you, give you the chronology now. In September of 3 BC, Jupiter crowns Regulus in Leo, uprises Virgo, clothed in the sun, new moon birthed at her feet, Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year. Nine months later, the biggest planet goes together with the brightest planet to make the brightest star anyone alive had ever seen. Where? Right over Jerusalem as it sets. The Magi ride. They get there uh, sometime around November, they go to Herod and they say, we've seen the star, where's the baby king? Uh, Herod says, uh, Bethlehem. So they're leaving uh, the gates of Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem, five mile trek. Uh, and they look up and there's the star, there's Jupiter, right over this little town of Bethlehem. One of the guys, he's the guy who does the math for the group. He's going, wait, 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 wait. It's in full retrograde, it stopped right over the little town of Bethlehem. They ride down to Bethlehem in 1225, 2 BC. We know that's the date because that's when the star stopped. They're carrying gifts, remember? Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. 
They find the baby boy. Is he living in a manger? No, 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 no. He's moved. He's in a, he's in a house now. He's described in Greek as a pideon. He's a toddler. They find the baby boy and they present these fabulous gifts to him on what turns out to be the first Christmas, 1225 of 2 BC. In September of 3 BC, when Jupiter is coming in a close conjunction with Regulus, the king planet and the king star, that happening in Leo, the lion representing the nation of Judah, the tribe of Judah, that rises in the sky and behind it rises Virgo, the virgin, and she's clothed in the sun and she has the moon at her feet. It's exactly what John described in Revelation 12. It's what he saw in his vision. It's obvious. What does this mean? You know, human beings have a characteristic response when they see a sign. They draw near to learn the fuller message. That's what Moses did when he saw the bush that burned but wasn't consumed by the flames. He drew near to learn the fuller message. It's what the Magi did when they saw the symbolism in the sky. They rode for Jerusalem to learn the fuller message. So what does this mean? Well, one thing it means is you can press the scriptures extremely hard and they hold up. But it means more than that. I believe it means Messiah has come. Our Messiah was announced in the sky. It's possible for us to have reconciliation with the perfect God because of Messiah's sacrifice. We just have to accept that. It might mean even more than that. Because if we found the star and a reasonable person could conclude that we have, well, then the star was part of the natural order. And the solar system is like a great clock. It's mathematically precise. We know exactly what it looked like thousands of years ago. And if the star was a part of that great clockwork solar system and universe, that means it was a clockwork star. And that to me is almost overwhelming because that means that from the very moment that God flung the universe into existence, he had to know exactly when he would enter the human race as a man and when Messiah would expire on the cross because he marched in the stars from before time. Pretty cool stuff. And what I love about that is the precision that now through astronomy programs we can go back to any date and time and see exactly what the stars and the heavens were doing. And so it goes beyond just historical record to be able to pinpoint dates. And I love what he said about being able to press the scriptures as hard as we want. And I know sometimes I do that in sermons, and uh, it might be better in a midweek study to go deeper, but sometimes, you know, since this is what we have, I, I do a combination of both. And I was reading a quote this week where the person said, in our rush toward Christmas we end up truncating the celebration of Christmas by moving the adoration of the Magi to our early Christmas. And we efficiently and ahistorically place the wise men at the manger next to the shepherds. And I want to say that I'm one of the rare people that completely disagrees with that. Because as this program has showed, the wise men saw Jesus on 1225 of 2 B.C., and the argument is, well, he wasn't a babe in the manger at that time. He was a pideon. He was a toddler in the house rather than the manger. So how do we reconcile that? Well, for one, the Greek word pideon doesn't exclusively always mean toddler. It can sometimes refer to infants. And as we've said many times, too, and I love how our kids' performance today captured this, 
The fact that Mary and Joseph were not looking for an inn because there were no inns in first century Palestine. The correct Greek word there is kataluma, and it's guest chamber. So as Mary and Joseph were going back to Bethlehem for the census, they were staying with extended family. You can't tell me that Joseph was going back to Bethlehem with his wife pregnant with a child, and they're going from house to house or cave to cave looking for a place. They went to the family home. But the kataluma, which was the top... Uh, pinnacle part of the house, the guest room was full with relatives. So they stayed in what we would call the side garage, which was the entrance to the house where the animals were. There was protection, there was warmth, and that was kind of the entrance to the house. And at the back of this stable was a place where they washed and they entered the house. And so I believe the sequence is this, is that the shepherds, as we're going to see, were notified by the angels. They came and worshipped, and then they went away glorifying God and telling everybody. The wise men arrived after them, and I don't know how much longer, but it's according to the, the, the program, it shows 1225 B.C. So at some period of time on the day of Christ's birth, which very actually could have been Christmas Day, even though I get it, they used a different calendar system than we do, but they moved into the house because the stable was connected with the house. And it wasn't that he was two years old. It was that he was still a newborn babe. And here, here's the thing that gets me. People are always trying to time the birth of Jesus with when King Herod died. And a lot of our history uh, statistics say that Herod died around 4 B.C. But the problem with that is that if Christ is born and Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt because Herod has been tricked by the Magi and he's rageful and he kills all of the, the toddlers all the way down to infants, then it puts the birth of Christ at like 5 or 6 BC, which is kind of crazy. But here's a point, and then I'll get off the deep stuff and we'll go back to application. The, the death of Herod is marked by Josephus because it's in connection with a lunar eclipse. And there's a lunar eclipse that happens in 4 BC, and that's why they think Herod died in 4 BC. But there's actually two that happened in 2 BC, which is exactly when we are claiming that Christ was born. And that makes a lot more sense in terms of the chronology, because Christ is born December 25th of 2 BC, and Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt, and by the time they hear that Herod has died, it's a year later at 1 BC. And it also makes more sense that Christ entered his public ministry around age 30, all of that. So for those of you who really care, I love that when you press down, there's some accuracy and there's some integrity to the scriptures rather than, oh, I guess we can't push on this or that because things just don't reconcile. But I love the fact that the wise men were reached by God in the language that they understood. They understood the heavens. And they didn't probably have all of the scriptures that we have today, but they knew the prophecies. They came from Babylon, which was 2,000 miles away. Think of how long they had to come in advance in order to get there right at his birth. Uh, coming by camelback, that's a long journey. And the precision which, which they arrived right at his birth. And so what a, what a, what a beautiful part of the Christmas story that God's joy reaches each one of us right where we're at. And secondly, as I said, the angels. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the shepherds, how God's joy reached the shepherds as well. Max Lucado writes this. He says, an ordinary night with ordinary sheep and ordinary shepherds. And were it not for a God who loves to hook an extra 
on the front of the ordinary, the significance of that night would have gone unnoticed. The shepherds are out in the fields. They're seeing the brightest thing that they've ever seen in the sky, but they're not understanding the science of it. They're not scientists like the magi, the wise men. They're just out with sheep stuck in the field, and they're seeing this heavenly light as two stars come together, and, and they're amazed by it, but no significance beyond that. As the video said, Venus and Jupiter were standing in retrograde motion above Bethlehem, yet the shepherds don't understand this. They're just seeing something that for the first time is uh, only eclipsed by the, the, the brightness of the moon or by the sun, but it's the biggest object they've ever seen in the night sky. They don't understand there's a fulfillment of prophecy until the angels come and make that clear to them. And that story we pick up in Luke chapter 2. If you want to read with me, I'll read along, and we'll catch that as we continue this. Luke writes this, Luke chapter 2. Now in the days of the decree that went out from Caesar Augustus, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. No, no room in the guest chamber. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in the manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying God and praising him for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. These humble shepherds, as I said, not educated or schooled, are sitting out most likely tending the very flocks, historians tell us, that were groomed and raised for temple slaughter. The, 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 the sheep of Bethlehem were the very lambs that were used in the temple sacrifices. So these shepherds are out there tending lambs that are used for temple sacrifices, and God comes to announce to them the birth of his son, who will be the ultimate lamb of God, who will take away the sin of the world once and for all, sacrificing himself, never needing to be repeated. The, the drama of that, the significance of that is just overpowering, just amazing. 
And how ironic that these shepherds that are tending the sheep themselves are ceremonially unclean and not even able to go to the temple because they have to go through all this ritualistic cleansing in that day before they could enjoy the temple. But they're a huge part of the temple system. It's also interesting that in in first century Palestine, there was a tradition. Uh, We don't know if it's truth or if it's fable, but it seems to hold significance for the Christmas story in that when a baby boy was born, there would be local choirs or carolers that would come and sing songs to kind of celebrate the birth of this, of this baby boy. And again, if that is true, how amazing that God has the choirs of heaven serenade his newborn son on the night of his birth. I mean, just tying into a tradition that was already happening. Just amazing drama. And I love the message that's in verse 10. It never it hits me every single Christmas. Good news, which is the essence of the gospel, right? Of a great joy. Good news of an even greater joy, that will be for what? For who? All the people. All the people. Despite you know, their background, their race, their ethnicity, their education, their social standing, their economic status, It's a joy that's accessible for everybody. And that leads us to the last point here, that God's joy reaches even us, even ordinary people. I love when, as Brittany was talking about how the angel appeared to Zacharias, who he and his wife Elizabeth were without child, and said in their their late years they were going to have a child, and that child would be John the Baptist who would herald the coming of, of the Messiah. And this is what he said. The angel said to them, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And we know the story of when Mary, who had encountered the angel Gabriel, and at this point was pregnant, and went to spend some time with her cousin Elizabeth, that when Mary arrived, John the Baptist leapt within Elizabeth's womb because he sensed the presence of the Messiah, the one that he would be proclaiming and heralding. And so even from the womb, Christ's presence was bringing joy to those around, and I love that. And at this point, Mary says to him, uh, says to, uh, I'm sorry, Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed is she who believed. Believed what? Believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So here's Mary, who's a, who's a virgin, who's never known a man. And she encounters an angel who tells, you're going to become pregnant through the power and miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And she believed that. She didn't understand that, but she believed that. And here she is now pregnant. And Elizabeth is saying, good for you for taking God at his word and believing him and the joy that's going to result from that. And at this point, Mary responds to Elizabeth's words in what we call the Magnificat today. It's just a stream of praise that comes out. And I love how Mary captures the fact that God's joy reaches ordinary people. Listen to what she says in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and following, 45 and following. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. Not Mary chosen because she was perfect. Not Mary who is able to redeem us the same way that Christ can redeem us. No, Mary, who is an ordinary, plain, faithful, young virgin girl that found favor in God's sight and was chosen to be part of the grand divine plan. For the mighty one is holy, 
and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation on all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. I love that. just captures God's joy reaching ordinary people. Fast forwarding ahead, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, in that upper room with his disciples, John 14, 15, 16, 17, it starts with Jesus washing the disciples' feet in John 13 and talking about how he's going to prepare a place for them. And then in John 15, he says these words to them. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then Jesus went on to talk about how he was going to leave them. And there would be a period of time where they wouldn't see him anymore, where they wouldn't be able to enjoy his physical presence. And they were very troubled by this. And so Jesus picks up on this in John 16, and he says, Jesus knew that they wished to ask him a question. So he said to them, Are you deliberating together about what I have meant by what I said a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me again? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will be able to take your joy away. I love it that Christian joy is not this, as I said, delirious kind of... um, irrational joy. It's a joy that perseveres and sustains hard times. It's a joy that is with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we lose people who are dear to us, as we go through just really tough stuff where there aren't always answers. It's a joy that sustains us and holds us up. That's the kind of joy that God promised to us that reaches ordinary people. I wrote a quote this week. The, the person said, The incarnation is messy, dirty, and resonates with the crucifixion. So we need a new wave of carol writing that can gradually swill out the nonsense and catch the piercing, joy-through-pain refrains of the New Testament. Basically saying, you know, we need less Christmas songs that are just all frilly and acting like joy is just this, you know silly thing when it's actually I I love how he defines that the joy through pain refrains in the New Testament that's the joy that we celebrate a joy that can withstand hurt and tragedy and trial and even death itself because it's victorious that's what we celebrate we before we entered this Christmas series finished up our series better together And we described joy not only theologically but neurologically, that joy is what happens to us when we are in the presence of someone who is delighted to see us and delighted to be with us. And we made the connection that, believe it or not, that's how God feels about every single one of us. He is delighted to see us, to fellowship with us. It brings him joy. And we celebrate his joy because in his presence is fullness of joy. 
going from that to understanding that it's not just his presence, but he indwells us. John chapter 14, the one who loves God and obeys his commandments, that he would come and make his home in us, and the power of that. And then finally, that he's delighted over us, and that's the joy that we celebrate. And so today, I just want to close with the words of Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. He only wrote one chapter in the New Testament right before Revelation, and it's, it's a benediction that I want to pray over us today as we go back into worship and close out today. But Jude says, now to him, to who? To God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, both now and forevermore. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you that you have come to bring us love and hope and peace and joy, that all of those are connected with your birth, that even the heavens themselves declared your glory and told a story that confirmed and matched the record of Scripture. We thank you for the accuracy and integrity of your word that is without error, that is inspired by you, breathed by you, and is profitable for teaching and correction and training in righteousness. God, we have based and built our life upon it, and we believe it is the firm rock that will withstand any storm. And we thank you at this uh, Christmas of 2022 that you are still the God who reaches us exactly where we're at. Lord, we pray as we give of our tithes and offerings today, whether we do that online or we do that physically here, that as always you would bless the monies that are given, that you would multiply them for the needs of this church, for the ministries that we support in this community and the missionaries that are doing your kingdom work around the world. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.